Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad that you're back with us on this Tuesday. Always enjoy all of our listeners picking up information from us. Before we get into our guests, and we have what we like to call a 360-degree view of the economy around the globe, I'd like to talk with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and see what's happening in the news, and he can give you an update on last week's show. Lou, how are things up in New Jersey? Uh, So far, so good. Uh, Thanks for asking. Uh, let's get right to it. We've got a great show. Just want to hit on a couple of points of last week's show and a couple of interesting news items. So regarding last week's show, we did have our usual Institute of Supply Management manufacturing report and the non-manufacturing report. We have both uh, Brad Holcomb, who's the chair of the manufacturing report, and we have uh, Anthony Nieves, who's the committee chair for the non-manufacturing. Uh, we also have uh, the uh, credit manager's index report by Chris Kuehl, Ph.D., an economist with Armada Corporate Intelligence. Uh, and these three guys uh, probably add up to about 450 IQ easily combined. Um that's more than you can get in a subway train in New York. Um, so that being said, uh, the information uh, regarding the uh, business report and the uh, non-business report, the numbers were terrific. Um, the uh, manufacturing report came out at 52.3 or 53.2. It's one of the two. Either cases, great numbers. And the non-manufacturing, if I'm not mistaken, was 54 point something. Uh, so it's uh, it's a good indication that we're finishing off this year on a, a pretty strong note. And if you will be listening to Brad uh, Holcomb or did listen to him and uh, Anthony Nieves, I suggest that you listen to them because they're really bright guys and they speak incredibly well about the economy as Chris Keel does as well. Uh, So as far as uh, news items uh, are concerned, there's a couple of, uh, well, there's a lot of interesting things, and we don't have enough time to do all of it. Uh, So I'll start off with um, President-elect Trump. Okay, that's done with that. Uh, Next, uh, Mr. Trump has a little bit of a bone to pick, apparently, with uh, Boeing, and the supposed $4 billion Air Force One contract. First of all, the word is out that it's not $4 billion. I don't know where that number came from. It may have come from the recesses of President-elect's mind, Uh, but the Air Force is saying that it is not costing $4 billion, but it is costing a lot of money. And a good part of it has nothing to do with the airplane. It has to do with the missile defense system that is on the aircraft, which that probably a million or a million and a half dollars. You know, sort of keep the president safe. And um, 
the, uh, isn't going to go down much, and uh, I'm not sure that a negotiation or a renegotiation is actually going to uh, work. Um, also, Lockheed Martin may wind up having a renegotiation with Lockheed Martin and the F-35 fighter plane. Um, meanwhile, we still need an additional 100 fighter planes, um, and I'm not sure that uh, he's going to get anywhere with reducing the cost on the F-35. Uh, we may just wind up having to uh, increase our purchases of uh, the F-18 and the F-15, um, which would help Boeing, actually. Uh, Lockheed Martin does not make that airplane. So if a negotiation comes down where Boeing has to lower the price on Air Force One, they will also wind up getting an increased contract to build F-15s and F-18s. It's going to be an interesting uh, aerospace battle that could wind up uh, being in the headlines. Next, uh, Fiat is involved with an organization called Alphabet, and they are building a uh, self-driving hybrid minivan called Waymo, and um, they uh, it's a uh, complete multi-purpose uh, uh, vehicle uh, using um, uh, computers and suite of sensors and telematics and other types of uh, systems so that they will have a safe uh, electronic self-driving vehicle. Um, be interesting to see how that uh, progresses. Actually, the, sh the car is going to be seen next month in Las Vegas at the CES Electronics Show. So anybody who's going to be out there in Vegas, you can see the vehicle if you wish. Um, it's going to be interesting times in the automotive industry. Uh, that said, uh, Auto sales for this year, even though there was a slump last month, uh, our sales were 17.9 million vehicles. Um, not so much in the passenger cars, more in trucks, minivans, SUVs. We're still the gas guzzling lovers. We love our gas, even though New Jersey just raised it to the, we are now the highest gas uh, gas state in the country, um, but we like paying more for everything, uh, it's, or so we're told. Um, and a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, next week or in two weeks, the government is raising the federal gas tax an additional six cents. So we're going to be paying here in New Jersey 32 cents additional in gas. Um, but we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, another uh, comment about uh, Boeing. Boeing is talking about increasing job cuts on the commercial jet division by 8%. The good news, it's not firing people. It's by leaving open positions unfilled and attrition and voluntary layoffs starting early next year. So I don't think that it's really going to affect employment. I don't think it's going to increase uh, in, in issues with Boeing. 
uh, in actuality, um, they claim that the layoffs will only be for about five or six weeks. So it's not really any big deal. Um, I think that's uh, that's it for my latest and greatest in terms of some of the interesting tidbits we pick up. Uh, so, Tim, back to you. Lou, I just want to remind everyone that next week we're having our year-end in review show. We will be doing that a little bit different than we have been in the past. We're actually going to add a video component to that show. We're going to be talking about our favorite shows, our favorite people, our favorite topics. So we want everyone to tune in for our year-end show before we uh, get to our guest here. And uh, let's, let's talk with our first guest right now. Joining us now is Chung Wang, our senior correspondent from China. Chung is going to give us an update on what's happening in China, both uh, from a manufacturing perspective and an economic perspective. Chung, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Good morning, Tim. It's a pleasure to be back. So I guess so, the burning uh, today, question that's on uh-huh. everybody's mind initially is, you know, China's GDP, which in prior years went into the teens and everybody was impressed with it. We're not sure if it was ever real, but what does it look like in 2017? What are you hearing from Beijing about GDP in 2017? Mm-hmm. Well, GDP in 2017, uh, GDP in 2016 so far has been quite stable, uh, growth at 6.7%. Next year is projected to be slightly lower, but still above 6% is what Beijing is saying. And um, judging from what's happening this year, we believe that it is most likely going to be the case. Although 6% growth is considered would be considered high in a developed economy like the U.S., but in China, really, this is this is uh, equivalent to a slowdown. Uh, although there will be a big shift between uh, where in the past with double-digit growth rates, most of that is driven by export economy and heavy industry, uh, heavy and light industry. However, in the future, the drive the heavy and light industry is on the drop. Uh, this year growth is only 3%, while in the future, the service industry, or what, what people call the service industries, will tend to grow faster. Okay. Now, the other topic we hear so much about coming out of China is about steel. And there are a number of topics within that, uh, whether or not they're really dumping steel, whether or not they're uh, yes. hiking prices just mm-hmm. to hike prices, or if they, in fact, are cutting production so much that they're forcing prices up. Start with any one of those issues, Chung, and and let's see what's happening in China as it relates to steel. Okay. This is actually uh, quite a big topic because uh, the steel market is quite complicated in China. During the boom in 2000, between 2008 up to um, 2012, 13-ish, the um, steel production has been ramping up, has always been ramping up in the past, but uh, uh, China has really became the largest steel producer and exporter, uh, especially in 2013, 14, and 15. And uh, the, 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 the China's steel production capacity now makes up about 50% of world capacity. Although the exports uh, only makes up about 15, between 15 to 20 percent of the total production, uh, 
And the, um, there are really two different sides to the story. Between 2014 and 15, uh, because of dropping demand, uh, local demand and international demand, uh, China's steel mills dropped their prices sometimes to lower the cost uh, to, to catch the, uh, the market. And that resulted in, in a lot of steel being sold worldwide. In 2015, it reached 110 million tons of steel. And those steel was sold really cheap. It was, uh, some estimation was that it's 30 to 50 percent lower than European or American counterparts are selling the steel. So that, that, those years were the um, steel dumping was the, really the main topic of discussion, and some countries started to uh, some tariffs on imported steel from China, including India, which has a 20% tariff, uh, Britain has a 46% tariff, and the U.S. has, for some products, a uh, 236% tariff on uh, some imported steel products from China. However, in 2016, due to these international tariffs and the drop decrease in demand, and the coupled with China government's uh, plan to overhaul or to to, um, uh, to restructurally uh, reorganize the country's heavy industry, uh, they wanted to reduce steel production by a large percentage. Some say it's 20 percent. Uh, but actually, on the ground, what we're seeing uh, recently is that the the reduction in capacity is really just happening by the end of this year, by the last two months, where some some say that maybe about 30% of production of the companies producing steel are being shut down. So talking this about year, mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. the shutdown, Chong. Uh, we hear that part of that shutdown is because of uh, pollution and pollution agreements that they've signed. Is that uh, factual? Yes, at least uh, from from the surface, that is the reason why these companies are being shut down. That is the publicized reason. As in the past, pollution has never been uh, strictly enforced. A pollution control has never really been strictly enforced in China. Uh, just, uh, two, two years ago, there was a story. It was that uh, none of the, really none of the environmental control agencies, people, uh, enforced their pollution standards. Uh, they're just an agency for giving, handing out certificates, basically. But um, there was one agency who had a new leader, new leadership, and wanted to enforce the standards, sent some guys to a local plant and wanted to stop production because they were uh, excessively uh, accessing pollution. But these these uh, agency enforcement officers were beaten into the hospital, actually. That, that was two years ago. That was the overall feeling in the country is that the pollution is fine, and it's always been fine, so why shouldn't it be fine? But just at the end, uh, at later part of this year, just in the past three months, the central government has really cracked down on even the pollution-related environmental control uh, issues, and most of this is targeted at small and medium-sized mills that do the standards. So that's why we're seeing the 30% uh, 
closures in these in the steel industry, and they're using pollution or uh, non-compliance to environmental codes as the uh, as the main reason. Well, that's an interesting way to handle your uh, your government uh, inspectors is to beat them into the hospital. I don't know that we could do that here in the U.S., but what about trade with China? I'm now, pretty there's a number sure of, a number of opportunities, Chung, uh, between the U.S. and China, China becoming a very big trading partner of the U.S., uh, but we hear all kinds of uh, statements out of uh, Washington, particularly Trump, where China is a currency manipulator and He's going to slap all kinds of tariffs on it. What actually is happening in terms of um, trade with the U.S., and where are the opportunities for manufacturers? Yes. Uh, uh, currency manipulation uh, is probably uh, certainly somewhat true, but uh, China's currency manipulation is done within the framework of the International uh, Monetary Fund, I think that was. And uh, because the RMB is already in the basket of reserve currencies, so there is really a limit to how much the currency uh, can be manipulated or can fluctuate over time. Uh, however, uh, currency fluctuation could help some uh, U.S. industries as well. And, and, and here's a few examples from, uh, from what the trade looks like between U.S. and China. Uh, for example, U.S. exports a total of about $140 billion to China worth of goods. And the large percentage of that, the first biggest portion is taken by transportation vehicles, making up about 21% of total, total sales. And within that, airplanes is worth $15, $15 billion. Airplane sales from the U.S. to China makes the, about 60% of the total uh, imported by China. So that means really uh, the U.S. airplane maker, namely Boeing, is uh, really winning the market. On the other hand, so in the, in the same case, if a U.S. company is a manufacturer of airplane-related parts, uh, there is big opportunity for them to sell into the China market for the aftermarket repairs and such. On the other hand, cars, uh, car sales has been really been increasing. Uh, cars in the last year has been 20, uh, 12 billion dollars worth of cars sold to uh, China, which, which makes up 22 percent of China's imports. However, uh, because last year there has been a rise, uh, a boom in the auto market in China, 30 percent growth in consumption. At the same time, because of the establishment of free trade zones, there are uh, in the past the biggest obstacle for exporting cars to China was the high taxes. However, because of the establishment of free trade zones, now there's the opportunity to lower taxes and sometimes have tax-exempt automotive sales inside the country now. And this is really becoming a more attractive opportunity for, uh, for automakers everywhere, and the U.S. in particular, could, companies could take advantage of this opportunity. The, um, another big portion of uh, China imports is industrial machines. This includes pumps, turbines, engines, motors, transmissions, and uh, everything you can think of. Because of China's uh, large, heavy, industry, uh, heavy industries, it needs the support 
of machines. And in order to, uh, due to the, the competitive, the competition in markets, these companies trying to survive, they need to increase their production capabilities and competitiveness. And that's why imported machines from heavily industrialized countries, uh, high-end uh, machines from, example, uh, US, Germany, and Japan are really sought after in this market. So if you're a manufacturer of machines, there will be big market opportunities in China as well. Uh, another thing, another thing of, of, of the growth is, area of growth, is the integrated circuits uh, market, which is basically computer chips. Computer chips, although only makes up 6% of U.S. sales to China, however, this is an ever-growing market in China because China's uh, consumer electronics production has really been ramping up. This is this, these kind of high-tech uh, gadgets, consumer electronics, are reinserted in the uh, expanding portion of the GDP. Just to give you an example, some, a few days ago, some guy tried to sell me a gadget, uh, a, a cup uh, that tracks my daily water consumption, tracks how much water I drink. And then by Bluetooth, it sends information to my phone. Right, and it also automatically updates my uh, my blog if I had a blog, you know, about how much water I'm drinking, <laughs> and alerts me. I should drink this. <laughs> that funny. I need a gadget to tell me how to drink. But just within that gadget, which is a really cheap cheap gadget, I think the price was uh, was something like five or or six seven dollars ish. Uh, within that gadget is a chip that is made in Germany. So the brains of that thing is really imported from Germany. Uh, and there is really a, a, a expanding uh, market for high-end uh, smart chips also imported from the world because it takes a long time to develop and put in the manufacturing required to make a high-end processing chip. So for U.S. chip makers, this, this market is ever-growing, and if you're not here already, you, you should really try to get here. Let me ask you this, Chang. Uh, how's the drone industry in China? <laughs> oh, I, I understand that there's gotten huge. some new technology mm -hmm. recently uh, that uh, ah. Mr. Trump said, uh, "Why don't you keep our drone, and so you can reverse engineer it and uh, have defense drones or offensive drones?" Uh, what's the talk in uh, China yeah. about this drone? Uh, there's actually very little talk about that. This is uh, considered more of an international incident, really, and uh, very little reporting on on that end. Um, but we know about what happened. We don't really know about what's happening to the drone. And um, reverse engineering is, I'm guessing, is certainly a consideration. Uh, probably already happening. I, I don't really know. Uh, but in terms of drones, is, is it in, in the U.S. when you talk about drones, you're talking about uh, uh, multi, I don't know, military drones, maybe multi-million dollars, and multi-thousand dollars, definitely. But in China, you can get somewhat computerized smart drones that follow you around 
you have a little remote, and it follows the remote. If you move, the drone moves. These kinds of gadgets you can get for like $20-ish. So, I'm not sure what we would use a personal drone for other than maybe to film ourselves. But, John, we appreciate the updates from yeah, China. Yeah, and we will be back again with you next month as you give us uh, what has been happening as we cross over our new year, not necessarily your new year, which happens later for you folks. And we'll talk with you again in uh, 30 days or so. Thanks for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio again. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're speaking with Chad Moutre, who's the chief economist with the National Association of Manufacturers. Always excited to have Chad on the show. He's always got great information, and we're going to be walking through his global manufacturing economic update. Chad, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. It's great to be on your show again. It's probably the last time of 2016, but uh, always, always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you. Why don't you get us started? Uh, you know, I see the chart of the U.S. dollar against major currencies, and that's one of the concerns that uh, manufacturing, I'm sure, has is the strength of the dollar. Although it's nice to have a strong dollar, yeah. it tends to depress exports. What's your read of the dollar? Yeah, you're right. So um, I think you know, I guess the, the big the big thing there for manufacturers is that you know the dollar's appreciated a little bit more than 25% since the middle of 2014. Um, you've seen continued strength here in the last couple of weeks, certainly since the election. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that, that that makes it harder for us to grow our, our overall exports. Um, uh, you've seen declining manufactured goods exports over the last couple of years. Um, and, and I think, again, that's a large part of the headwinds that we've seen in the manufacturing sector uh, in 2015 and 2016. Uh, certainly the dollar was a large part of that. <clears throat> but you know, at the same time, you also mentioned, you know, the good part of it, and that is that, you know, why why is it that the dollar is stronger? Well, a, a large part of it is that when you look around the world and you see, uh, you know, the health of, of the global economy, the U.S. stands out, and so we're continuing to attract a lot more investment. 
certainly the Federal Reserve. It just raised interest rates last week uh, for the first time this year. Um, certainly the Federal Reserve is looking at progress, and I think that that's what's moving the dollar uh, as much as anything. So J.P. Morgan Global Manufacturing PMI, uh, as you pointed out, and by the way, to our listeners, if anybody isn't tied in with uh, Chad Nutre's uh, Monday morning uh, briefing and this global update, uh, you really need to get into this information. Excellent, excellent reporting. Uh, Chad, what about the, uh, the J.P. Morgan uh, PMI? It looks like it's going fairly strong. Well, it actually grew at its fastest pace since August 2014. So, you know, you, you've, you've continued to see signs of stabilization in the manufacturing sector over the course of this year. Uh, and we've seen really uh, a lot of progress just over the last couple months. Uh, in fact, when you look at the top uh, 15 markets for U.S. manufactured products, uh, manufactured goods uh, in terms of exports, uh, you actually, we only had three countries that were contracting in the month of, of November. Uh, you know that was uh, you know five and uh, five a few months back and actually seven in August. So you've actually seen uh, the number of contracting countries whittle down. Um, still, there are challenges out there. You know, no doubt about that. Um, but the fact that we're starting to see a little some signs of, of green shoots for growth globally, I think, is is a sign that hopefully we can get some stronger ec um, export growth moving forward. What is holding back South Korea? I'm just curious if you have that information. Well, South Korea, <clears throat> excuse me, South Korea is having some political challenges. I think you probably saw in the news last week that they they have an impeachment scandal. Uh, uh, they just impeached their president, um, and so I think part of that part of it is that um, I, I suspect that once they get past some of those political challenges, you'll start seeing some progress outside of that in the larger economy. You're starting seeing progress in other parts of Asia. Uh, China, China is expanding now for the second or third month in a row, uh, and, and, and that's helping to lift other, other Asian economies. South Korea, will, I, I suspect, will, will improve moving forward, too. How about Hong Kong? When will they uh, start to get links? I think the same thing is true there. I think um, you're starting to see. I think as as China improves, you're going to start seeing the you know the long tentacles of China um, uh, lift up the rest of Asia, and and I think that's where really where Hong Kong is at this point. I guess maybe Brazil needs to move to Asia. Well, Brazil actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I mean yes, but Brazil's still contracting. Although I think that we they're starting to have bottomed out and moving in the right direction. Um, I expect that maybe by the time we get into the second half of 2017, that that maybe they'll emerge from their recession. Uh, but right now, it's uh, uh, you know right now I think they're still in contraction, but I think the signs are there that they're going to be continuing to improve. What does uh, what does the UK look like uh, going into 2017, Chad? Are they going to have a good year, or is it going to be a predominantly flat year? I think that you're starting to see, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, the UK is brushing off the Brexit concerns. I mean, certainly there are continued conversations about, uh, you know, what that means uh, as, as, as uh, Theresa May continues to negotiate, uh, you know, the, the March timeline of when they want to structurally file their Article Article 50, um, basically a motion to, to, to divorce themselves from Europe. But outside of that, I suspect you're going to continue to see just, you know, Soft but still positive growth in, in UK overall, roughly 1% growth in terms of overall GDP growth. So nothing fantastic. Certainly we'd like to see stronger growth, and, and uh, but I think um, uh, 
for the most part, what's really holding back the UK is, is just those uncertainties about about Brexit itself. It's, but 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 even even with that, they're still kind of emerging from it. I'm not sure our listeners are, are all up to speed on the referendum that was going on in Italy. I wonder if you would share with uh, them what the referendum loss in Italy was and what its likely impact on Italy survey. So, you know, one of the big challenges uh, that you've seen in Italy is it's just, uh, you know, they have a lot of, they're, they're really, we're trying to reform the system to make it easier to pass lo uh, legislation. Uh, and, uh, you know, their, their president, uh, Renzi, essentially, or Prime Minister Renzi, was trying to push through a number of, of initiatives that would have, at least in his mind, reformed the way that you govern. Uh, the challenge with it was that, uh, you know, some 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 voters, particularly millennials, questioned uh, really whether that's the direction that they wanted to go. Uh, and I guess the big the bigger challenge was that he put out there pretty early on that if this referendum failed, he was going to resign. And so the the result of that was that if you know going into it that that uh, if this fails, you're going to resign. Uh, all of his opponents uh, pretty much rallied around no, uh, and not shockingly, um, it failed. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not discounting whether it was a good or bad uh, referendum, but not shockingly, it failed, and, and he resigned. And so, um, uh, I think you know a lot of folks are, are uh, painting that as certainly another wave of populism, much like uh, you know the election here or, or Brexit or some other things. Uh, but I think uh, the, the big the big challenge was that he put out there that he was going to resign. He tried walking it back, but I think it was too late. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just wondering, you know, we've got a number of elections coming up in Europe uh, next year, and I know that manufacturers just don't like uncertainty. Are those elections likely to hold manufacturing back in Europe as they did here for most of 2016? Well, I think that you're going to continue to have a lot of focus on many of those European countries, but especially given the populist movement that we've seen uh, in, the re in the elections we had this year. Uh, certainly a lot of attention is going to be placed on France with Le Pen uh, doing relatively well, although uh, the conservative candidate looks like he's probably the front runner there. Um, I guess the, the bigger the bigger election obviously is what happens to Merkel in terms of, of uh, you know the German election. I suspect she's still the front runner, but you know, I think any time you have <clears throat> an election, there's going to be uncertainties, as we know. Um, and, and you know, I think there's a lot of uh, controversy with regard to you know the Syrian refugee crisis, and so there's certainly that issue that's out there throughout all of Europe. You're going to continue to have sluggish economic growth, and so I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of frustration out there, much as you've had, I guess, when the elections we had in 2016, and so. Um, that I think is going to be something that's closely watched, uh, uh, primarily because of the populist moves that we've had so far this year. Uh, one uh, one percent GDP potential growth for next year is uh, uh, far from uh, impressive. Uh, well, that was for the UK. I think for for the, for Europe as a whole, uh, I would expect 1.7, 1.8 percent growth in GDP. Again, not not fantastic. But but better than one. But a lot of yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Uh, what what is going on in in terms of the refugee issue uh, going on, particularly in Germany? Um, is, is that having a major effect on their economy? 
Well, they certainly have been the most uh, open about allowing refugees into their country, um, and that certainly is what's created some political backlash for them. Um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the short term, there's going to be a lot of costs of absorbing that, right? You know, certainly in, in absorbing the economic cost of absorbing that many people is, is something that um, uh, in the short run probably is going to be quite costly, both from a political standpoint but also from a, from a currency standpoint. In the long term, though, you know, the reality is that uh, having additional immigrants into the country probably will help them, right, uh, in terms of uh, it's a country that obviously has been upside down in its fertility rates for a while. So having additional workers uh, probably will help them become even more competitive in the long run, but there's probably going to be a number of challenges associated with that in the short run. Uh, and that's aside from any other issues that might be related to that. What's your thought on about the immigration issue here in the United States? Because obviously that's going to be a huge issue in the coming administration. Well, you know, uh, as you know, the National Association of Manufacturers has long supported immigration reform uh, for for uh, a number of a number of reasons. Uh, it's mm -hmm. pretty clear that the the next administration. Uh, views views immigration a little bit differently. Uh, I think the, the first thing that they're going to be doing uh, is obviously doing uh, issues related to security, uh, but we're going to continue to try to work where we can to uh, improve immigration, make it a little bit more streamlined. And uh, while comprehensive immigration reform is probably going to be on the back burner from where we might like to see it, we're going to continue to educate where we can. In, uh, in terms of China, uh, Chad, one of the things that always runs across the back of my mind is for, for so many years, China was uh, talking about GDP in the double digits, uh, always in the 10s, 12s, teens, and now they're uh, below 10, and I'm not sure, but I'm going to ask you what they're going to look like for 2017. What runs in the back of my mind was the uh, 14, 15% GDP fuzzy math or uh, are we now getting down to some real numbers for, for uh, GDP in China? Well, China's going to grow roughly 6.7% this year. Um, that's the official numbers. Uh, I would expect them to grow 6.4%, 6.5% next year. So you know, you're continuing to see a, a decelerating trend in terms of overall GDP growth. You're right. If just a couple of years ago, they were growing at double digits. Uh, but they're a maturing economy, and, and you know you can't grow at 10 or 12 percent forever. And, and, and so we would expect them at some point uh, to slow in that growth rate, and that's what's, what's happening. Uh, now I, I will say that I, I made a big deal of that, saying that that was the official numbers. I mean, uh, the reality is they probably are growing uh, a lot slower than that. Uh, but you know, even looking at official numbers, you can clearly see a decelerating trend there. Um, you know, my, my my own view is that you know they're going to continue to decelerate, and I think that's something we should expect. A larger trend, I think, from a Chinese perspective, is that you know, uh, 11 or 12 months ago, the conversation about China was whether they were uh, going to send the send the world into a global recession. Right? There was a lot of worry about China and how insta unstable it was, and how. Uh, they were really a, a risk. Uh, certainly, when I talked to a lot of manufacturing leaders, they talked about challenges in China and Brazil. And I think that that China, the risk to, uh, from China has has lessened pretty significantly over the course of 2016. And so, uh, yes, there's still a lot of challenges out there. You you continue to read about those in the paper every once in a while. But I don't think that they're the global risk that they were, say, uh, in January of this year. And so that that's that's an improvement and a sign that perhaps they've turned a little bit of a corner. 
Isn't there six percent, seven percent, kind of equal to our two or three percent? Well, they definitely are growing, probably at least two or three percentage points lower than the official numbers. Um, and, right. and, and you know, the reality is in the manu in the industrial sector, they they were contracting over much of this of this year. You're starting to see mm -hmm. signs of them growing a little bit uh, in mm -hmm. the last couple months. Um, so yes, uh, the, the numbers have to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt, right? Meanwhile, from our understanding about what's going on there in regards to, for example, steel, the steel industry, which, you know, them being the largest steel producer in the world, they're shutting down, I believe the number is 150 major uh, smelters, uh, they claim, for the purposes of pollution. Uh, but that 150 organizations that produce steel, that's a huge, huge number. Uh, that is going to be affecting their economy. Yeah. Um, well, I guess you, you bring up a couple points there. Number one, that's an awful large, large number of capacity, a lot of capacity that's that's um, been brought online in the last few years in terms of steel production. And we certainly hear right. that from our, our steel producers in the U.S. Uh, the second part of what you mentioned there, obviously, was, was pollution, right? And, and mm -hmm. Uh, you know they still have a long way to go to clean up their uh, environment and and to do put things in place that actually will continue to to make their their life a little easier. You know you continue to read stories uh, in the just even in the last week or so of, of a lot of pretty severe smog there. So uh, so yeah, there's there's a, a couple a couple points to that comment. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Chad, in terms of the uh, U.S. dollar and what it looks like for 2017, and I'm not sure whether it would be a weak You're going to start to see, I mean, you're certainly seeing, and we've seen this over the last couple of weeks, uh, the dollar strengthen a little bit. I don't think it's going to strengthen um, a, a lot more than it has already. I think we've already seen uh, much of the, the, the bulk of the strengthening happening, you know, really over the last couple of years. Uh, and and what, what's really moving the markets a lot right now is this expectation of, a, of, a, of increased debt potentially uh, and, and conver you know, conversations about potentially what's going to happen in terms of U.S. fiscal policy. That's moving the dollar a little bit, uh, much as it's moving interest rates. Um, uh, and then the other part of it, and I mentioned this earlier, is the fact that the U.S. is now tightening, right? And so that's obviously pushing up the dollar a little bit. Um, but I don't see it, you know, I don't see another 20% increase, for instance. You know, I, don't, I see maybe uh, just a few more more percentage points increase in the overall dollar, and that's probably where it'll, it'll even out. And, and what will help us from... Uh, appreciating any more is the fact that the global the rest of the global economy is picking up steam a little bit, and that will help, I guess, put a little bit of a lid on appreciation. What about uh, in terms of, uh, I know that the, the debt concern for uh, additional federal spending, but they're going to have to acquire some debt, I think, in order to do the infrastructure spending that Trump is talking about doing. Uh, well, do, you, do you see a lot of that kicking in? Well, I think you know the, the, what the uncertainty out there is. You know, of all of the proposals, how are we going to pay for it? Whether that's tax reform, whether that's infrastructure spending, whether it's anything, any other initiative. And there really hasn't been a lot of meat on the bones for us to be able to assess what is the impact going to be on the debt, what is the impact going to be on overall uh, spending. Uh, and, and you know, I think that, that you know we, we could shape those policies as far as the federal government. We could shape those policies such that. 
the more deficit neutral, for instance. You know, we haven't really said how we're going to pay for the infrastructure package um, uh, or uh, tax reform. And, and so I think the devil's going to be in the details there. Uh, markets are moving on an expectation of additional debt, I think, simply because we haven't had a conversation about how we as the federal government are going to pay for those things. But, uh, uh, you know, I think when, when the Congress gets together and drafts a new infrastructure bill or tax reform bill, I suspect that there's going to be pay-fors in there that, that probably will keep the deficit in check. Do you, do you personally see any, um, any way that we're going to be paying for, the, for all of this? We know the, the government hasn't really thought a whole lot about it, and well, uh, uh, that, that's been an issue right along. I mean, where are we at, 19 or $20 trillion? Well, coincidentally, uh, and, yeah, coincidentally we, we put out something, as you know, in, in October called Building to Win, where yes. you know, we saw infrastructure kind of moving early on, and we, we pretty much laid out the challenge, the fact that we haven't been investing enough in infrastructure over the last few decades. Uh, and we so not only did we lay out the challenge, but we also said, well, here are some possible pay-fors, uh, uh, and and kind of you know punted that back obviously to policymakers and said, okay, here here hopefully we can, this is helpful for you in, in outlining really where we can move forward. Uh, we didn't prescribe what that pay-for is going to be, uh, but I suspect that that's the list that they're going to call from when they actually get to uh, how you're going to pay for it. Uh, for our listeners, why don't you give us the URL where they can get some of these reports for those who are not sure, all sure. that familiar with them? I'm, I'm just going to give the general uh, URL just sure. because there's a lot on the site. So www.nam.org. Um, that's ORG. And there's a couple things I would highlight on there. Number one is the building to win that I just mentioned. So that's obviously our infrastructure initiative. Uh, but there also are a series of white papers that were put up in the last couple of weeks uh, dealing with uh, the transition. So that's competing to win a number of documents related to that. Uh, I would also highly recommend to our listeners uh, your Monday economic report. Uh, I've mentioned this to you before. I race to work on Mondays so I can get your report so I can find out what happened last week <laughs> with, a with a certain amount of uh, uh, validity that we don't get from our mainstream media. Well, hopefully, so, you're, hopefully you're not driving too fast. <laughs> no, no, not too fast. So that's uh, the Monday economic report. Sign up. It's a freebie. Uh, and it's uh, full of very valid information to help you uh, design and move forward with your businesses, whether it's manufacturing or otherwise. So I, I, I tip my hat for you for that report. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for the kudos. Uh, Chad, I know that uh, Trump has talked about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and withdrawing from it uh, and also talking about creating four to five million new jobs. Um, what effect does the TPP have on our GDP if he, you know, puts the kibosh on it? Well, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is, would have been with the, one of the faster-growing pockets of the world. Uh, there were, all, you know, of the 12 countries that are involved, that were involved in that, uh, one of which was us, obviously, uh, we already had trade agreements with all but five of them, uh, and the, the biggest of those five is Japan. Uh, which is our fourth largest trading partner. And so uh, 
Uh, I think you know, the, you know, the bottom line for us in terms of, of why we were advocating for the TPP was, again, it's a fast-growing part of the world. It's a part of the world where uh, we have not had as great of access to those markets as we would have liked to have had. They have access to our markets, but we wanted greater access to theirs. Uh, and uh, you know, while that you know that particular agreement is is, is pretty much dead right now, uh, we hope that at some point it can be rejuvenated. Certainly, there are. Uh, even if we go down the road of, of, of bilateral trade agreements, hopefully some of that information can be used to, that, and be helpful for those you know, negotiations that might come moving forward. In view of the fact that that trade agreement represented 40%, as I understand, of world trade, why is it such a negative to those who look at it as negative? Well, I think that you know, as you know, a trade is being used as a scapegoat a lot of times. Um, uh, it's, it's pretty easy, for instance, for any you know the average American to look down the street and say, "Hey, there used to be a factory on this corner, and now it's gone." Uh, and right. um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that might be the case: globalization and, and, and a whole host of other things. Uh, and trade trade is an easy scapegoat there. Um, you know, the reality is, and I think that we as a business community need to do a better job of pushing back uh, with this message. And that is that uh, exports create jobs too, right? Uh, that a lot of a lot of uh, factory workers would not have work if it weren't for us uh, continuing to sell abroad and, and and to increase those export markets. So uh, we need to do a better job of getting that message out there. Um, and so that's why, for the most part. Well, you know that you know that. You know that we are uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio's uh, strong supporter of NAM, and of course manufacturing in general. So anything that we can do to help promote the the message, uh, you know, we're here. And uh, we, we've had now over the last two years over 400,000 people who have either listened or downloaded uh, our uh, shows or podcasts. So um, hopefully we're making a difference, and certainly NAM is making a big difference also. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and I look forward to being on your show again sometime early in 2017. Uh, Dad, before you. we let you go, could I get one more comment out of you about sure. Tech Sam Bank? Uh, how's it doing, and you know, is it going to be held to this $10 million cap for the foreseeable future, meaning years, or, or is there going to be movement on that? I didn't hear the question. What was the first part of that? The trans I'm sorry, the oh. Export-Import Bank, are they going to break through this cap and get their uh, quorum, or is it really going to be held to $10 million for the next several years? Well, I mean, obviously there was a multi-year package that got it renewed, and so that that's going to stand in, at least until that's reformed. I think the bigger issue, as you know, is we, the fact that we don't have a quorum. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the good news is that, that as we move into the next administration, uh, a President Trump will get to appoint um, his people to the, to, to the Export-Import Bank, and hopefully we'll be able to move past that forum issue. Well, that, well, that, would, that, be, would, be, that would be a good thing. That would be a good thing. Well, Chad, we appreciate you uh, being back on our show. We look forward to speaking with you again in January as we hit the new year, and you can give us an update then. Okay, that sounds great. And we wish you a, a good, wish you a good holiday season, and uh, to all those at NAM that we know also, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you next year. Okay. Thanks. Happy holidays. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, that was Chad Chief economist of the National Association of Manufacturers. Please go, please go to nam.org. They've got some great information and reports there. We also obviously encourage you to go to mfgtalkradio.com because we have great information there, too. 
Okay, we're with Roy Slow, who is our senior international correspondent for the EU and the UK, and we always enjoy speaking with Royce to find out what's happening in Great Britain and in Europe. Royce, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio again. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good morning. We're good morning. Well, in your case. Let's start with, uh, <laughs> with Brexit, Royce. Um, right. You know, we hear so much uh, in, from so many different quarters about what's happening with Brexit, but we don't often get to hear from a point of view of someone who is watching it very closely from that side of the pond. What's happening with Brexit? What's happening with Brexit? Uh, at the moment, it's, it's become something that um, uh, I'm sure that most of the people that voted for it wouldn't, wouldn't recognize uh, at the moment. Um, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been basically um, the real reason, uh, it, it, as it's come to light, that uh, people were, were voting for Brexit is basically immigration. Uh, th this has turned out to be the key issue. Um, the, um, the situation regarding the government uh, is that um, uh, Theresa May, the, uh, the Prime Minister, has, um, has basically said that she's going to trigger uh, negotiations to leave the European Union at the end of March uh, 2017. And uh, in line with that, uh, the um, the negotiator for um, for the, uh, the the guy who's negotiating for the European Union, uh, Michel Barnier, uh, says that uh, Article 50 talks must finish uh, in the 18 months to October 2018, and that the final free trade deal, uh, if 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 it comes to a free trade deal would need to be negotiated after that date, in other words, after uh, 2018. But the most, probably the most interesting piece that's, uh, that's come out of, uh, of all this in the last little while is um, from the UK's top diplomat in Brussels, who, who has said, and he, he's, told, he's told Minister this, that the, uh, the UK-EU trade deal might take 10 years to finalize and still fail. So really, um, it's, it's basically that's, that, that's where it's at, and it's, it's not really surprising. I mean, the two-year thing uh, that they talked about at the beginning um, well, turned, it probably turned out to be a bit of a pipe dream. I mean, if it does happen in two years, it will be a miracle because uh, there, are, there are so many people and, uh, and, and uh, in addition to all this, there are so many people in, um, in Europe, in, in, the, in the EU, the other 27 countries, who uh, effectively are saying, uh, this is the sexiest game in town, we, we want a piece of the action. So everybody wants to say the, the little word. And uh, who knows where that's going to land us, you know? So, uh, and, um, Sorry? Uh, are there any movements afoot to uh, reverse this whole mess that got started? Well, the, uh, yeah, the, I mean the the, um, the the Liberal Democrat Party, which is uh, which is number three on the totem pole in the UK, uh, they would they would like to uh, reverse it. There are forty. 
there are 40 uh, conservative MPs uh, who, uh, who would like to reverse it. Uh, a further complication is that uh, the Prime Minister of Scotland has said that uh, effectively she's going to call for another referendum. Uh, remember they had a referendum in Scotland uh, a little while ago, uh, do we stay in the UK or don't we? Uh, and uh, they decided to stay, but she says that uh, right now, if, uh, if if this whole thing goes ahead, uh, she's going to call for another referendum, and um, basically to leave the, to separate from the UK because Scotland voted 70% in favour of of staying. Scotland wants to be in Europe, so it's hmm. uh, the whole thing is becoming is is it's, it's a can of worms, as we say. You know. And uh, the, the people who, uh, who the, the population, the, the polls, are saying that uh, only 33% of the people think that the government's doing a good job with all this, and uh, it's, uh, it's just a mess. It's just a mess at the moment. You want to talk about messes, huh? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, sure. well, okay, we can talk about messes. Uh, <laughs> another thing, of course, that's got to be uh, that's got to be uh, that's got to be made proper, for want of a better word, is that there are uh, 2.8 million EU citizens in the UK, and there are 1.2 million UK citizens in the EU. And uh, one of the things that uh, Theresa May has, has come up with is she's saying, "Well, uh, I'm worried about my people in the. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about my people in Europe. We've got to do something about this." And uh, and the uh, Europeans turn around and say, no, take it easy, to Mrs. May. Uh, just uh, we'll tell you when you can do this." Effectively, they're turning around and they're being hard on uh, hard on uh, Britain now. So, what's this space? Well, aside aside from uh, the the Brexit issue, and I'm sure there's more than that issue that's uh, going on in Europe. Uh, can you fill us in on what's uh, going on with the economy, particularly in uh, in manufacturing, uh, both in uh, England and uh, England, France, uh, Germany, uh, as you see it. Mm-hmm. We know well, Italy's in uh, the toilet. Italy's in a mess at the moment. They just they, 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 their prime minister just quit, and uh, they've got banking problems. But uh, the, if I look at the um, at the PMI figures on. Um, for for, uh, for November for for Europe they're they're the they're at the highest level that they've been in three years uh, highest since January 2014 and it it looks at the moment it looks it looks good uh, people are still consuming people are still buying lots of cars um, the Netherlands and uh, and Austria and Spain and Germany uh, they're, they're all doing they're all doing pretty well. Uh, after that, we get Ireland, Italy, and France. Uh, France is that's two months. It's been over fifty. Whoopee! <laughs> and uh, poor old Greece is uh, is is down there. It's um, it's it's looking okay uh, at the moment. Um, 
Germany, of course, is the is, is the is the powerhouse of uh, of Europe. It's got it's got the population, and we all know what um, what Germany makes and, and what they export, and uh, a very very big exporter of, uh, of machinery, uh, steel, uh, cars, the, the whole thing. Um, they're basically uh, it's Germany that effectively. Uh, Holds the European manufacturing uh, situation together. I understand uh, here in our country uh, there was recently tariffs imposed on uh, six European countries exporting steel mm -hmm. to the U.S. And it was interesting that China was not included in this. Uh, you know, we we bash China about their. Uh, anti-dumping and uh, you know lower lower than cost uh, materials, but yet mm -hmm. there's uh, there's heavy duties been imposed on uh, England, uh, France, Germany, uh, Italy, and I don't recall the other two on um, the exportation of steel to the United States. How has that uh, affected uh, the steel industry in uh, Europe? Well, would that be on uh, would that be on steel in general, uh, or would that be on certain kinds of steel? Because the, the way I understood it, China had been hit really, really hard by the U.S. Uh, on uh, well, on carbon only, steel. Yeah, only only hot rolled and cold rolled steel, uh, primarily right. used for uh, automotive. Uh, right. Yeah, and when they do. When they do this tariff thing, they do, they do it on usually commodity grade uh, materials, yeah. uh, not so much the specialties or stainless steels. Uh, so is that uh, at all a factor uh, that you know of uh, in Europe? Well, I'm sh I'm sure that they have been. Uh, I'm sure that they they would um, try to hit everybody to protect the the U.S. steel industry. I, I hadn't heard that it's been a particular <clears throat> problem for Europe, uh, not at this time. Uh, maybe just uh, a story told to Americans. Well, it's it's, it's possible. <clears throat> it's possible, though, that um, that they have been uh, that they have been hit. Uh, that, that, that they normally hit everybody. I mean, they normally don't. Uh, Single out. I mean, to single out one country, to single out just China, would be uh, would be akin to war, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Even though yes. they did hit them very, very, uh, they, they, they did hit them very hard. Well, meanwhile, yeah. China China has now shut down over the last two months uh, many uh, steel melt smelters uh, as mm -hmm. a result of pollution issues. So I don't know if they're yeah. concerned about pollution, uh, how it affects their people, or if it's pollution because China signed an, an agreement uh, along with uh, uh, the, you know, the, the French uh, um, uh, uh, summit. That, the Paris uh, Agreement? Yes, yeah, the Paris Agreement to uh, curb uh, curb pollution. So we're not exactly mm -hmm. sure what reason, but we do know that the shutting down of smelters in China is having an effect on uh, uh, the China economy. Mm -hmm. so well, that's, they, uh, they, they, yeah, 
they did say that they have been promising over the last little while to shut down 100 to 150 million tons of capacity. That they've just uh, merged the two two of the biggest uh, companies uh, into a company that that would ride, that will rival uh, not quite uh, as much as but will rival uh, ArcelorMittal in terms of production. And I know that they they tell people that they can only. They can only drive the cars on alternate days in big cities. I mean, I mean, what we call pollution in the West, uh, they would they would die for it in China. You know, they would uh, say, "My <laughs> God, we've, you know, we've come into the light." <laughs> yes, that's very true. Uh, Royce, the you know, manufacturers don't like uncertainty. Uh, right. The political situation in Europe tends to be kind of a. Uh, whack-a-mole, if you will. Uh, this country is having an election. That country is having an election. I don't think it all happens at the same time. So what's happening in the various countries in terms of upcoming elections that are that may make manufacturing a little uncomfortable over the next six months, as we were in all of 2016? Yeah. Okay. Well, you've got, um, of course, you've got Germany coming up next year, and... Um, Mrs. Uh, let me just say at the outset that there is a there has been a sort of uh, swing to the right in uh, in Europe. But um, I'm sure you're aware of that. That um, right. that some countries are, are definitely looking that way. But um, uh, Germany next year, and, and, and Angela uh, Angela Merkel will she'll definitely run again. Uh, there's a um, there's a there's an election coming up coming up in France in May, which uh, which could be a little strange because um, uh, the guy uh, Fillon who just um, uh, just won the uh, primary and he's the presidential candidate for the centre-right Republican Party. Uh, he's an ex-prime minister. He's, uh, he's he's got a few years under his belt. Um, and uh, he wants to shrink. The, the, they have in France, they have what they call a labor code uh, that, that runs to 3,000 pages. And he wants to shrink it to 150 pages. He wants to trim the public sector, uh, which represents 57% of GDP in France, by cutting half a million civil service jobs. Now, if, he, if he's elected and uh, he starts... Uh, it, maybe it's a little bit Trumpish, I don't know, but uh, if he starts trying to do that sort of thing, there's definitely going to be a problem in France. Uh, Germany, I think, is more stable. Uh, I, I don't think any uh, any right wing is going to get in there. Uh, coming back to France, uh, Marine Le Pen, the uh, the leader of the National Front, she, she's a threat, um, but um, it's it's. I mean, it's possible. I mean, anything's possible, <laughs> as we know this, as what we've seen this year. But uh, she's she's very right wing, and she's very much uh, onto uh, onto immigration. Uh, you've also got um, uh, you've got Austria that's just had an election. Uh, fortunately, they um, uh, they didn't um, they didn't uh, elect the far the far right guy. Uh, they, the guy almost won it, uh, but he was uh, he was cut out at the last minute by a a guy who ran as an independent. 
uh, Holland is uh, there's there's always murmurs in Holland about uh, about uh, immigration, but uh, that country, I would say, if, if anything, is is pretty stable. Italy, of course, well, uh, Italy is Italy is Italy. I mean, how many governments have they had since World War II? Fifty, sixty? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. They've had a lot. I know that. Um, Yes, I mean, uh, all, all these things could have an effect. Um, uh, France definitely bears watching in that respect. If, 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 people, uh, if people start messing with the workers in, uh, in France, then they're in for trouble. Uh, the, 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 the French like to protest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's a wait and see, Tim, you know. Um, but we don't know. We, 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 it's it's an age of uncertainty, for sure. Just to uh, change the topic just for a moment, uh, uh, Royce, uh, United States has been, uh, in, in regards to its manufacturing sector, has been really improving uh, our productivity and uh, um, um, as a result of uh, new technologies, uh, new products as a result of new technologies. How is that playing out in uh, Europe? Is is the new technology and productivity and skills gap, or are these all issues that uh, uh, Europe is sharing uh, like we're here with the U.S.? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the technology is here. Uh, it's probably not as marked as it is uh, in the U.S. And um, yeah, and uh, take for example, take the U.K. Uh, the U.K. has got uh, uh, a very low unemployment rate, uh, probably around, around five five percent, but it's got lousy productivity. Uh, the, the, this is a given. Its productivity is nowhere near as good as France, which has a 10% unemployment rate. There may be a correlation there somewhere. Um, uh, the, uh, the Germans, of course, the Germans, we, we, we all look to Germany for, uh, for engineering, and uh, we all look to Germany for, for skills, and we, we know about the, uh, the apprenticeship schemes and the way they, the people are coming along here. Um, and yes, the, the the technology is 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 a factor. Uh, it it has to be. Uh, they um, but they're into. Uh, I mean, if if you want to talk about, for example, if you want to talk about um, alternate forms of energy, uh, that's that's something that um, the, the the Germans the Germans just threw out nuclear energy, for example, because the people didn't want it um, after what happened in, in Japan. France is having a problem with its energy. Uh, but as far as, as far as technology goes, yes, it is a, uh, it is a given force in Europe. Uh, but um, the, 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 there, are, the, there are problems. Uh, as I said, there's a problem in the UK. Uh, and uh, there's a problem in um, uh, there's a problem in Spain and there's a problem in Italy. But we don't, um, you know, they, they, these places have very high unemployment rates uh, to boot. 
I don't know if you've uh, heard this, but I, I recently uh, read a report on a new energy form, which they're experimenting in the uh, North Sea. Um, and I believe it's a Netherlands uh, company that's doing it, and it's called right. Wave and Wave Energy. Uh, yeah. Have you heard of that? Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Could you? It's, uh, you it, hear, it, 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 we don't hear much of that. Yeah, go on. So why don't you uh, tell our uh, viewers, our, our listeners, a little bit about uh, wave energy? Well, it's, it's basically just that. It's 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 uh, it's, it's got to be uh, it's got to be intermittent. Uh, it, it will depend, of course, on the um, on the strength of the. Uh, of the incoming waves and uh, and, and of the uh, I guess it depend on the wind uh, as well. I, I I'm not up to date technically with the, with this uh, law to be very honest with you, but I have I have heard of it and I know it's mm -hmm. it's one of the uh, it's one of the methods that's being put forward uh, in Europe for um, I mean they have been they they do the uh, they do a thing in um, in the UK when the when the tide comes in on the Thames, uh, any any sort of movement of, uh, of of wind or water, uh, I think people are trying to uh, to make it work. In fact, I think there was a, there was a, the first um, was it the first wind farm uh, in the US was just opened at, at Block Island in uh, in Rhode Island. Uh, I, yeah, I remember reading somewhere about that. Yeah. Well, actually, the um, first one, actually, the first one was built right offshore from the Kennedy compound, and the Kennedy family tried to stop it because it, they felt that it detracted from the view. Right. So yeah, I heard they about lost. this. I think this, I think somebody else complained about the view too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Mr. Trump actually was complaining about the planes flying over his house in Florida, uh, and uh, he tried to reroute the aircraft uh, landing pass. <laughs> so that didn't work. But now that he's going to be have his uh, White House in Florida for parts mm -hmm. of the time, they are yeah. actually rerouting airplanes away from his home in Florida. So I guess really? uh, you know when you have the power, you've got the power. Right. Well, in terms of uh, in terms of wave energy, there's actually been a number of wave energy products, uh, projects, and tidal projects in uh, the East River. The first one they tried right. was 15 years ago, and they underestimated <laughs> the strength of the currents. Lou, you actually sailed your sailboat through those currents. And it, yeah. and it beat the turbines up and turned them into rubble on the bottom of the sound. Yeah, they put the they put the turbines underwater, and uh, I'm not sure if it was the waves that uh, destroyed it or or the the uh, logs and telephone poles and uh, the bodies uh, that were flowing through that chopped up these turbines. Uh, but it was a good idea. They, well, they have it was supposed to be fully installed this last year. I don't know if it succeeded, but it was supposed to power uh, 9,500 New York residents with uh, what looks like uh, wind turbines just underwater. I don't know mm -hmm. if they they won or lost on this second or third attempt. <laughs> Good grief! 
Well, I think man's ingenuity should be able to come up with an awful lot of stuff. Um, it, it seems that right. if, if, when the wind blows and uh, and the and the waves are out there, that uh, people are looking to, and the sun shines, of course, uh, people are just looking to um, take advantage of it. Yeah, why should we? What uh, looks are the predictions for GDP for the UK and the EU looking into 2017, Royce? Is it looking strong? Is it going to be flat? What's your sense? For the UK? And the EU. For the UK? Yeah, um, yes. You're talking about the GDP? Of the, sorry, I uh, I didn't hear very well. You're talking about the GDP of the UK and, and Europe? Yeah, projections for 2017. Um. Well, I think that um, I think that they've cut the um, the UK slightly. Uh, it's it's somewhere um, it's somewhere around one percent, uh, one to one point five percent. Yeah. They they've also got uh, since since June, uh, inflation has doubled in the UK uh, uh, as well. Um, the, the actual figures for the for the uh, the actual figures for Europe, I I don't have at hand, uh, quite frankly. But uh, I, I know that they're um, they're forecasting. Uh, I, I think if we look at the IMF and the, and the and the um, the World Bank, I, I think that they're looking at one to one point five percent effectively for. For Europe, it's not it's not very very high at all. Royce, we're taking immigrants from our UK partners, so if you're ever looking to come aboard here, you're welcome. <laughs> you're taking immigrants from the UK from the UK partners. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 take you in. We feel you know something. Uh, I said that if uh, if if for some strange reason uh, somebody comes to me and says, uh, "Royce, we're very very sorry, but you can't live in France anymore. In other words, you can't live in Europe anymore because of this, because of that, because of Brexit and all the rest of it." Uh, I will be. Uh, I, 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 I go back to uh, I go back to Montreal. I have uh, I have dual citizenship. So I would just uh, toodle up back to Montreal, snow or no snow. <laughs> I wouldn't go to the UK. <laughs> well, we uh, we appreciate the updates, Royce. Thanks for being with us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you very much, and, and happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you as well. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Come back and listen to us next week. Every Tuesday at 1 o'clock, we are on the air. We also have all of our shows at mfgtalkradio.com, so you can come in and listen to those previous podcasts. There are approaching now 200 of them. So come back and visit us often throughout uh, 2017, and we look forward to all of our listeners. But thanks for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.